I first moved to the States, I was, uh, thank you, Tom. I was about uh, five years old at the time, and we moved to uh, New Jersey where my grandparents were living. The plans we had, long story, um, to where we were headed when we moved to the States fell through, so we needed a place to establish home base and um, set up a plan. My parents did, and we went and stayed with my grandparents. We were supposed to stay there just a few weeks while my dad finished up some interviews. And, and while we were living there, um, my grandparents' place caught on fire. They lived on a second floor um, of this building. It was all theirs, and there was a store underneath that did not belong to them that caught fire. And I remember waking up. I can't remember if it was second floor or third floor because I know they had um, all vague to me at five years of age. There's certain things that stand out. And I remember in the middle of the night waking up and, and sensing all the smoke um, around, my grandmother yelling, my sister, two years older, looking for her hairbrush, because you know, it's super important in times of fire, because we're going to comb the flames away. I don't know what she was thinking. But uh, my other sister trying to figure out uh, where everyone was. I remember going in the hallway, and my grandfather, disoriented, uh, was swinging a newspaper around, trying to get the smoke to be gone. It was really thick. And... My sister and my grandmother yelling for us to get to the window in my grandmother's bedroom. As we stepped out towards the window, I remember seeing fire trucks pull over, uh, coming around, and there was that fluorescent kind of yellow green. And I remember just super being excited at five years old, like, hey, we got the firemen, and the, the bell was ringing. It was really cool. There's extension ladders coming out, and they're trying to open the window. There's a guy coming up on the extension ladder. And he's coming right at us. He has an axe. And we're like, I think we can maybe open the window before you break it. And sure enough, he helps us open the window. They're setting up a safety net underneath as we're getting ready to make our approach to the, to the landing on the fire escape so we can get down safely. And they're prevent, trying to make sure that everything goes over well. And it was so vivid. I remember the sounds. I remember the smells. I, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing you know, the long john waffle kind of pajamas with the red ankles and cuffs here that were, they were red. I had Optimus Prime printed on the front. Um, I, I remember it because I threw up all over them once we got into the vehicle of just the smoke, the inhala inhalation of everything of what I felt. But it was first responders that helped me escape the flames and the smoke along with my family. And first responders do incredible things. And they position themselves to, to do that. I wonder, are there any first responders in the house? Around? We got one up here. We got one back there. I'm telling you. One up here. Another top up here. It's, uh, it's amazing what you all do on purpose. You know, there's things that happen because we just happen to be in that situation. And I'm kind of the personality, when I see something happen, I run to it. I've seen a motorcycle happen on the freeway. We're all going about 80 miles. I was not going 80, but I, I, we were all going 80. And, <laughs> and it, it happens. And I remember getting out and running towards the motorcycle that was there before Life Flight landed and beginning to take hold of a situation. I'm thinking, I just did it on reflex. I just did it. When, when you say, it's like, oh, that's just we're going on purpose. I don't think necessarily that's what we do. We were at a restaurant um, a couple Fridays ago, and there was a yelling match, and people were about to throw down, and some people were wanting to go. I'm wanting to step in and see, hey, what's going on? How can I help in this situation? Probably not a smart idea. But when I look at, when I started talking to my first responder friends um, here in Houston, 
I found out that when there is a 911 call, they don't have an option. Like, ah, I don't think I want to do that one. That one sounds too scary. They have to respond to the call. And once the call is made, they're on their way. And just like they, resport, they, they respond to life-threatening situations, they also res respond to some bogus, bogus calls. I mean, these are men and women who have been trained to be on the front line, who are among the first to arrive at a scene of an accident or an emergency, and they're there to provide medical, emotional, logistical assistance in whatever way possible they see. They didn't just get in one day and say, you know what, I just want to ride around an ambulance in a fire truck and figure out what happens. Highly trained people going to these places. And just like they deal with these incredible situations, they also deal with some crazy stuff. Talking to a, to a friend this week, and he said that they got a call and said they're about a gas leak. So they arrived at this place, and they get out of their trucks, and everybody's doing this. They're trying to smell deeply. If they can smell it, and they can't find or smell anything, so they go where the source of the call was, where the call originated. They knock on the door. The lady comes out, and they start talking and saying, what's up? And she's like, there's a gas leak. And they're like, man, we can't smell it. If you could show us where. She's like, what do you mean you can't smell that? And one guy in the back standing there, he goes, man, not, we smell a skunk in here. And this lady got so ticked off that the dispatcher on the phone didn't tell her that it was a skunk and not a gas leak. Another, another first responder tells a story where he, they got a call, and all it reads is baby not responding. So they take off, they arrive on the scene, and when they arrive, they realize that Baby is the name of the lady's cat. Incredibly upset. You also find situations that's harder to respond and figure out what's going on. You have to assess what's happening quickly. Another first responder tells me that they arrived at the scene. There was a woman that was grabbing her head and trying to figure out what's going on and was hitting against the head, her head against the wall and pillows, and they didn't know what to do. So the responders, first responders came in and all held her down when they found out what was the real issue, which is a simple solution they had to administer, which was to put alcohol in her ear because that would allow the little roach that was running around on her eardrum to come back out, and they were able to capture. I know, we all feel that, don't you? Like, you've... First responders don't get to choose. And I'm sure these guys here could tell you some crazy stories. So if you guys would hang out after the service, we'd love to hear them. First responders don't get to choose what they respond to. They do, however, choose how they respond over the last few weeks, we've been talking about poor and how to live missionally in our lives right where we are. And go through it quickly. Pray stand, a P stands for pray. O stands for offering an invitation to a, into a relationship. And in that relationship, we begin to understand people's needs. And through prayer and all of this, we begin to figure out how do we respond to the needs that are in front of us. We, have, we provided a booklet. If you didn't get one at the beginning of the series, you can grab one on your way out. We also have a poor pledge in the seat pocket in front of you, and you can pick one of those up as well. We're going to bring them up um, after communion next week, but be thinking about what that looks like, because there's power when God's people said, you know what, this is something we want to live into together. And here's what I've, I'm convinced of. As knowers and followers of Jesus Christ, we pour ourselves out for others. 
Not just for the sake of Christ, but for the sake of others. See, the life that Christ has given us, and this is what happens in our culture, the life that Christ has given us is not just about me and my family and for my personal benefit and enjoyment. Many times we come to church and we come in gatherings like this because all we want is for God to do something for me so that I can be better, so that my family, we can be well off. And then I'm always going to God when things aren't working out my way. But God says, I want to do more than just that. I want to to bring you from death to life. I want to give you a sense of purpose. I want to give you life. I want to bring about healing and freedom so that you can bless others in this life. See, the word respond essentially is a verb. By definition, it will require some kind of action on our behalf sooner or later. We are able to respond to people's tangible needs in the manner that the Spirit leads us to do so. And we're able to do this because Christ did it first. Christ not only shows us how to be fully present, he says, I will now empower you with my Spirit to live inside of you And his Holy Spirit begins to lead us into a relationship with people. We begin to identify needs and say, Lord, what do I do with this? And we begin to respond. It may be organically, somewhat unplanned, or it might be highly organized. I believe that the Spirit is in both. I think that responding, this R in responding for our series poor, is more about responding to the Spirit's leading us into how we respond to people's needs. See, we can, we can respond to all sorts of needs around us in our own strength and our own efforts and never be led by the Spirit. It is very different when led by the Spirit to say, here's where we're going. Here's what I need to do. And here's what I've come to find out over the years, a few things. When the Spirit leads us to respond to a need, Incredible things can happen. And it is possible to live in that kind of rhythm where we're hearing from God, identifying needs, and being part of the solution. See, many times God uses people, here's the other thing I found out, that God uses people to meet needs. Many times in my life when I have cried out to God to help me to do something, that I needed something to happen, here's what what I come to find out. That God used other people, he moved in their hearts, in their minds, they found, I found favor with them, that is of God, and God began to open doors. It could be some, something as simple as forgiving a debt, of needing money to, to do something, and all of a sudden someone says, hey, God's placed this on my heart. And God, how did God mean it? Did money just show up randomly on my doorstep? It may have happened to people, but it didn't happen that way. God used other people because they were open, they opened themselves up to God to be used by God to say, I want to be used by you. And when my need came along, they're like, I want to help meet this need. And God begins to use the church, the body of Christ, to meet the needs of this world. And I believe that true prayer compels us to this kind of action. Our faith in Jesus Christ over time will inevitably lead us into some kind of action. See, it's not just about asking God to help fix whatever's wrong in the world, whatever's messed up in this world. We do intercede. We do lay those situations to God. But here's what happens. Prayer begins to change us, to form us. And being in communion with the Spirit, we're making ourselves available to his leading. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. See, in the manner in which you and I have received, and let me tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received much, and you have much to give. In the measure in which we have received, we give. See, God's strategy for revealing himself, his plan, his love, his grace, and extending freedom and healing into this world is people. Prayer is essential for you and I fostering, yes, our relationship with God, but it's also the way that we're present in this world. Prayer allows us to evaluate the situation we're in, whether it's in a split-second emergency situation or something long and steady that we have to endure and we can begin to pray strongholds to be broken. But not at the cost of us just sitting back and doing nothing. See, prayer isn't a cop-out for us. I found prayer, and you find this in the Bible, is that prayer is risky. Prayer is work. Prayer, in many ways, is dangerous because it moves us into a response mode. If you are praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm gonna tell you this, get ready to be utilized by God. Who wants to be used by God? I'm telling you, start praying because God's gonna reveal those opportunities, those spaces. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Have you ever run into a homeless, not like run into them, but have you seen a, a homeless person? Hopefully not. There's first responders, cops in here. No, but... Uh, and you're sitting there at the light, and you have your shades on, even though it's nighttime because you don't want to make eye contact kind of deal. Ever, no, one, no one's ever done that? Okay, we've all done that. At a certain point in our lives, we've all done that. And it's easy just to say in the safety of our own vehicle, because you know that time will pass. You're waiting for that light to turn green. You're already impatient, but even more so now uncomfortably impatient. And you think something of the effect of poor guy. I'm glad that's not me. And suddenly, we make it all about ourselves. God, thank you for my blessings. Thank you for everything that I have. Light's green, we forget about it, and we drive away. Some of us may feel a little compassion and give a little bit of money here and there, a few bucks, and we move on. We don't really engage. Because I think part of it is we wonder, like, what can I really contribute to all of this? They're going to use the money for booze or for drugs. Here's the thing. God said, give what they do with it is between them and God. But maybe ask their name, talk something. Yes, be prudent, be wise. But that's where the spirit leads. And I've seen people who've taken that extra step and, and developed ministries, even here in Houston, in relationship with some of these men and women in need. God's going to lead us to do things we never thought possible. Incredibly crazy in the, by the world's standards. But when you're being led by the Spirit, things begin to happen. But in a self-serving mindset and self-absorbed culture, what happens is we'll take a plight like this person's and over-spiritualize it for our benefit and never, ever actually contribute to the solution. 
See, for us to respond to a need doesn't mean fix it. Sometimes we think, I got to respond to a need. I, I got to figure out how to fix it. That's not what it means. Check this out. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, if you have stuff and we're in the high percentage, low percentage of the wealthiest people in the world, sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, if we claim to abide in God and God in us, we begin to be generous in what we do. Little children, let us not love in just word or talk, but let it be translated in deed and in truth. Truth is revealed in our actions, but also in word. And in our, in our day and age, and I've heard this a lot lately, and I think may, many of you have heard this too, the people are speaking out against this statement that has been said on social media over and over. My thoughts and prayers are with you. And they point at that statement and they say, it doesn't mean anything. Keep it to yourself. Have you heard this? You know what I'm talking about. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I get what they're saying if that's the extent of what you do. But let me tell you this. As Christ's followers, full of the Spirit of God, our thoughts and our prayers regarding the need and the pain and the sin of this world will inevitably lead us to some kind of action beyond our words in some shape, way, or form. Our compassion starts with thoughts and prayers, but I urge us, let us not stop there. In Matthew 14, we read, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat, and he had just heard that John the Baptist had been decapitated, and he withdrew his cousin. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. This word compassion is something that Jesus felt. Now, Jesus had gone away to a desolate place to pray, to be with the Father. It led him to compassion. It catapulted him into action. And he decides to not only heal their sick, but we keep reading. And he went on to feed over 5,000 people. See, the love of Christ will lead us to respond in some kind of way to the needs around us. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave of himself. He gave his only begotten son. And because of Christ's total and complete work on the cross, you and I, we are invited to do exactly the same for the sake of others. This is only possible with the spirit of God in us. In the book of Acts, quoting the prophet Joel, we read, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down upon people for, and then depart after a specific task was accomplished. The yes, the God was with them, but not in the fashion that the Holy Spirit is with us now, saying that it will be poured out on all flesh, on all people. And we see this fulfillment in Acts chapter 2, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now it says, I'm going to fill my church, my people, with my very presence. And this is why our bodies matter. 
because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that we live into and then when we die, they're gone. We're gonna have glorified bodies. Why, if our bodies didn't matter, then why would God take on bodily form? And when he was resurrected from the dead, why would he take on another resurrected form? Our bodies matter. How we live matters. The Holy Spirit lives in us. In the previous chapter of Acts that we just read in chapter one, it says, while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the promise of the Spirit has come to fruition. This is really good news for us as God's people. Incredibly good news. This promise this person came with purpose, came with power so that we could be his witnesses to testify of his mighty works in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, illing, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in us allows us to live a different kind of life. And this starts the sanctifying work of God in us. See, our belief in the triune God Father, Son, Holy Spirit forms us from the inside out. This is about us being made in the image of Christ. As Wesleyans, this is the, or in our vernacular, this is what we refer to as a life of holiness. And this is where we begin to learn. This is something we learn overnight or in a quick prayer. We learn to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the desires of the flesh. We learn to resist the things that oppose the Spirit's work in our midst. Surrendering to God will take time, but also require a community. The importance of, yes, Sunday morning is incredibly important, but also those spaces of, of a life group where you can really begin to grow in the image and the likeness of God. And that's where God begins to produce something in us that only he can produce. And that's love. Here's... Here's the, here's the beautiful thing. is that same love that conquered death and sin. The same love that overcame darkness and brokenness. The same love that healed the sick and delivered the demon possessed. The same love that raised Christ from the dead. The same love that embraced a woman caught in adultery. The same love that gave way to eternal life. That same love is produced in you and me. You believe this? Think about that. This isn't something we conjure up. This is something we act like it. This is something that begins to change us. This is how we're able to respond in love to others. Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Suddenly, I don't live the way I used to live because God is doing something in me. Is it I'm immediately changed? In a sense, yes, you came from death to life, but now you are living this out. And you're working out your salvation in conjunction with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You're also in conjunction with the Spirit. I think you could put just the word love, and you look at this image, and all these other words are really modifying love. It's not that it's all these different things. It's why it's the fruit of the Spirit, singular. This is what he produces in us. 
See, because of Christ's spirit in us, we have the capacity to love others with words and with our needs. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, he says, let the love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, in tough times. Be constant in prayer. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Genuine love produced by the Spirit in us allows us to resist evil. And it will be manifested in our actions, the way we show affection and honor and serving the Lord and rejoicing. And check this out. We just read it. Being constant in prayer. Being constant in prayer because prayer will lead us to action. Prayer for our neighbors. Whether you, however well you know them is a sign of genuine love that will lead you to contribute to what verse 13 says, to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. That's why we do it. As the Spirit is working on all, in us, we're able to contribute it at a high level to someone's life. There are those who simply like highlighting helping others. And we'll have all sorts of causes around this world and that they're all great. But you can help alleviate and do a lot of things and never be led by the Spirit. But say, Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Because he's the one that does the lasting work in our lives to point people back to God. It's living in the Spirit prepares us to respond in whatever way he may lead. It allows us to contribute in bold ways. It will lead you to do things you never thought possible in your own life, in your own neighborhood, perhaps in your own home. And this happened in the early church. The early church responded to the Spirit's move in their, in their midst. We read in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. When you read all of this and how the way they organized themselves, the Spirit showed up in an unplanned, organic kind of way. Power is flowing. People are coming to Christ. This is their response. We don't find anything in Scripture that said this is what they had to do. This is the formula. This is just their response to God's love and presence in their midst. And then scripture goes on to say that they started to share their belongings, they started to sell their possessions, and helping anyone in need. The Spirit is always in the organic and in the highly organized. The Spirit's work in them led them to respond accordingly. In Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and Simon, I'm sorry, Peter, Simon, and John walking to the temple. This is after they've been full of the Spirit. This is in Acts chapter 3. And, and they're walking, and they're going to the temple to pray, constantly praying. And as they're walking, they pass this place that was entitled, called a beautiful gate. And there's a man who was born crippled, and he was brought to this gate by his friends, by his family. He, and that was his job, was to sit there and to ask for alms, for some coins. And these guys are walking to the temple because that's what a, the Jewish people did. They went there to pray. They're full of the power and the spirit of God, full of love. And they're walking, 
In the Bible, the way it reads is they do one of these, like you, you kind of lock eyes, but you really don't. And it says that the man sees them and just asks for some alms, for some coins. But check this out. Peter directed his gaze at him to this beggar, as did John. The scripture says that they said, look at us. And he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold because there is a coin shortage. That's not what he said. He could have used all sorts of excuses. But he says, silver and gold I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man expecting just a few coins to get by. And they gave him something else. See, because they were living led by the Spirit. There's the peripheral need of just economic relief. Just to make it. But they saw something greater. A greater healing that they could respond to. Peter and John saw this man as a human. They said, I believe that God can do something for him. They saw a greater need. See, when we respond in the Spirit... We will encounter unexpected things. And all of a sudden they said words to this man. Because their thoughts and their prayers were with him. And he got up. And what I love about this image is they didn't just say the words and kept walking. They helped this man stand back up. And now you have this man who had never walked in his entire life. His now his ankles and his legs are strengthened are strengthened in such a way that he can actually hold himself. And he begins to jump, and he begins to leap, and he is running with him, and he is running, and he is praising the Lord. He looks crazy. And those of us who have legs here, we stand here all cool. He said, I can't hold back, because his response was not to John and to Peter, but it was a response to God's power and love in his life. And he says, I will go, and I will pray with him. I will sing with him. His life was changed because they chose to respond in need. And that's what we do as God's people. I don't know what's going to happen. We may not be the first responders. We're going to be probably a line of many responders to people's needs. And we're going to face situations we won't know how to respond. Because we look at our own resources. When we respond, we're not looking at what I have. Because I look and it's silver and gold I have not. But I have something great to give you. Followers of Jesus Christ. You have something great to give people. Some of you have stories of transformation, of healing. You're right in the middle of them, of, of freedom. And you've experienced things to say, share that encouragement with someone at some point. God, would you give me an opportunity? They will be encouraged. Because I know we read this story and says, man, I can't just walk up to people and say, hey, get up and walk. What if they don't? What if God? And we have all these questions. We're not here to save them. That's not our job. And to say, Lord, would you show up here? Would you show up here in this relationship, in this friendship, somehow? And we invite the Spirit of God to lead us. You said, well, what does that look like? I got a call this week from a good friend of ours, stage four cancer in the spine and liver. You know, be easy, silver and gold I have not. I got to go. God's with you.
We can be there for the family. We can show up. We can pray for Claudia and Ramon and the kids because we have a living hope beyond what we're facing here today. When my neighbor had a brain tumor and we didn't know how to respond, we just showed up. It says, you know what, we're here. That showing up and praying with them ended us taking meals, helping with the kids, helping in whatever way they needed. Another neighbor ended up in the hospital. We'll meet them at the ER. I was like, hey, I got this. I, wanna, I just read a YouTube video. I want to figure out how to do this. No, it's not, I, that's not the response that was required of me. It's to show up in faith and say, you know what? I don't know where God is, but God's here somewhere. Let's pray and be there for the family. Show people that you care. I may not have much, but I'm telling you, what we have in Christ is exactly what this world needs. So don't downplay your story or lack of, of resources and of time and everything else that we hide behind and to say, Lord, how would you have me respond? Because I believe that as we seek God in prayer, our thoughts and prayers will change this world, will change hearts, because that's where it starts. That's where it's sustained. If it's just thoughts and prayers that lead us nowhere, they're not of the Spirit, but of the Spirit. We begin to see people come alive. Things begin to change in us and around us. John Tyson says this. About to close. He says, the Holy Spirit pours out his power to glorify the Father and the Son, enabling God's people to do for God in the Spirit what they could not do for God in the flesh. The Spirit gives the disciples, that's us, of Jesus' boldness to share our faith. It provides us words to preach the good news. The Spirit of God will lead us to go places. It would also tell us not to go to certain places. It will lead us to be present with people in powerful ways. It may lead you to pray for life and miracles will happen so that it will confirm that this message came from God. God is looking for a church, men and women who are saying, Lord, use me. Lord, use me in whatever way, whether it's, in, it's there with my engineers or with there at work, with my cops, with my attorneys, my colleagues, whatever it looks like, even my church, if you, whatever it looks like, to say, Lord, I want to be used by you in a way that is meaningful, that will create impact, to point people back to you. And when we do that, God opens the eyes of the blind, of those who are lost. We have a choice on how we respond. And it begins by yielding our lives to the Lord. And I ask you, what do you have? Silver and gold I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. What do you have? If you're here and you're saying, man, I, I don't know if I can even say that because I don't, I don't got that. I love to pray with you because you can get that today. His name's Jesus. You're like, man, I remember I used to have that. Do I still? Yeah, you still have it. And some of us this morning just need to say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me anew? Would you fill me one more time? Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, for the way you've loved us, for the way you've responded in need. And Lord, you've responded to some incredible things and some crazy things as well in our lives. But Lord, we're here and we're seeking you and asking you, Lord, would you please 
move in our midst? Would you use us to respond to the needs in this world in some way? If you're wanting to be used by God, and you want the Spirit to fill you so that you can respond accordingly, I wonder if you could raise your hand right where you are. Raise them high. Hands all over this room. Lord, I thank you. The men or women are making themselves available. Hold them high. Lord, I thank you, Lord. And I ask for the infilling of your spirit to move. Would you say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Use me. We want more of you in our midst. Lord, we may not have all. We know we don't have all the answers. We know we don't have the resources. But Lord, we're willing to move according to you, the leading of your spirit. So use us in whatever way possible. I thank you, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters who are raising their hands. You put your hands down. And there's someone here this morning. And you're saying, you know what? I don't have that to give, but I want that. For the very first time in my life, I wonder if you could raise your hand where you are. Raise it high. I pray in the name of Jesus, these people raising their hands, Lord, that you would empower them with your spirit. And they would begin to experience the newness of your love and of your spirit in their lives. You would increase their faith in newer and deeper ways. So, Lord, that they would too be like that man who jumped up with their legs strengthened, their hearts fortified, praising you, worshiping you for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace. Pray that you would receive infilling of the Spirit now in Jesus' name. Lord, we seal this time in your name. And as we sing this closing song, Lord, we're trusting you to do great things in us and through us. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.